All right, let's begin with prayer and ask the true teacher of the Bible to teach us, and that's the Holy Spirit of God, and then help us apply what we learned tonight concerning this wonderful teaching, wonderful truth about the tabernacle. Father in heaven, thank you that the tabernacle of God uh, today is the child of God, the believer. That's why you've chosen to dwell, that you live and abide in us, and you said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. But however, in the Old Testament, during the time of Moses, you instructed him to build this, what we're going to study tonight, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and that's why you chose to dwell. Father, help us to understand the teachings and the applications uh, that were applied to us today, and especially that of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. So if you'd open your notebook there, we're going to, first of all, just look on the uh, picture there, please, a quick review from last week. We talked about, the last couple of weeks, we talked about the fence around the tabernacle, and then also this is called the gate, or the door in the tabernacle, and then once you walked in there, the first piece of furniture you saw was the uh, brass um, altar. That's where they offered up animal sacrifices. The, the average Israelite could only, only could go that far. He'd walk into the, uh, the court area here, the courtyard, with a lamb to offer up in behalf of his sins. He would hand it to the priest. The priest would slay it and lay it upon the altar. And, of course, right before uh, he burnt the offering, the uh, Israelite would lay his hands on this innocent animal. And it was a picture of the transfer of his sins to the innocent one, and the innocent animal, the lamb, would die in his stead. And that's a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the cross of Calvary, our sins were laid upon him. And as the Lamb of God, he died in our place to pay for our sin. So that was a picture of Christ. So the uh, priest would offer the animal sacrifice on this altar. Then after that, the next piece of furniture you come to, and we looked at last week, was called the uh, uh, brass laver, and that's when the priests would wash their hands and feet before they could go in the tabernacle to service. They washed their hands and feet because, especially the hands, because they handled the animal, the blood of the animal, and like that. So they'd wash themselves clean, and then they could go into the tabernacle itself, which we're going to study tonight. And if you notice in the tabernacle itself, when they first walked in, on the left-hand side was the uh, uh, candle abra, the candle. Uh, candlelight, where they had the light for the uh, uh, tabernacle. On the right-hand side was the table of showbread. Right in the very front uh, of the veil was the altar of incense. Then we, uh, the, inside the veil was the Ark of the Covenant. That's where God dwelt. So let's begin. We talked about the court law. Here's what we've talked about so far. Our first study, number one, we talked about the introduction to the tabernacle. We covered that. Uh, so much information about the tabernacle to begin with, introduce you to the, the tabernacle itself. Last week, we talked about the courtyard and all the pieces of furniture that was in the courtyard. That was the, alt the brass altar, brazen altar, and the, also the um, brass labor, labor to wash their hands. Tonight, we're going to talk about the holy place. That was the first compartment into the tabernacle itself. We're going to discuss that tonight. Next week, we're going to talk about the second compartment of the tabernacle, which is called the most holy place, referred most often as the holy of holies. That's where God himself dwelt. And then the last time we're together, we're going to talk about the high priest. So let's talk about tonight the four things, excuse me, five things we'll look at tonight in the holy place. First of all, we're going to get the measurements and the materials God uh, instructed them to use to build the tabernacle. The next, we're talking about the golden lampstand. Then we'll talk about the table of showbread. Then the altar of incense. And we'll conclude tonight talking about the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. So let's begin tonight. Look at the measurements uh, and materials used to build the tabernacle. Now, we're not talking about the fence of the courtyard. We're talking about the tabernacle tent where, where the holy place and the holy of holies was. And I, uh, So anyway, this is in your notes. The measurements of that tabernacle was uh, 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, and then also 15 feet high. That was the measurement of the tabernacle, the tent where the holy place, the holy of holies uh, was. The measurements of the holy place. When you first walked in the tabernacle, that was called the holy place. 
it was 30 feet long, 15 feet wide, and then lastly, the measurements of the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, it was 15 by 15. We're going to look at that next week. That's where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. So tonight, we'll look at actually the, the, the holy place. So here's a measurement again of the tabernacle. Uh, it was 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, and also is 15 feet high. When you walked into the tabernacle, left-hand side was the golden candlestick. Straight before you, this was the uh, altar of incense. And to the right-hand side was the table of showbread. And here was the veil. And next we're going to talk about the most holy place. Holy holies would dwell the Ark of the Covenant. So the materials used, again, I don't think we, uh, anything to fill out, it's in your notes. Get a chance to read this. I gave the actual scripture that what God instructed Moses to do this. Uh, had 48 boards. Had 100 sockets, 66 silver sockets, two for each of the boards, and four sockets for under the pillars of the veil. It had, uh, Exodus 26, it had bars. It had pillars and hooks. You can read about that in Exodus 26 and also Exodus 36. And then lastly, the curtains to the entrance of the tabernacle itself. It gives us a description about that. Again, I believe that's all you know. It's nothing to write down there. So here's where we begin to fill in some blanks. The coverings of the tabernacle included, first of all, the first covering, talking about the coverings like the uh, lid or the roof of the tabernacle, the first covering was made of goat's hair with linen beneath. So when they walked in, what they looked up, they saw fine linen, but from the top they saw goat's hair. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 35, verse 4, and 26, verse 7. So the first covering is made of goat's hair and then linen beneath. The second covering was made of ram skin dyed red. The second covering was made of ram skin and it was dyed red. You can read about that in Exodus 25 and Exodus 26. And I would encourage you this way and get a chance to read through these, though I give you the information, actually see the instruction that God gave to Moses concerning these coverings. The next one. The top covering was made of badger skin. And I wrote in there, and notice it uses porpoise or seal skin. There's a lot of different opinion on, on what the badger skin was. Some people have taught, thought it was like a, a mammal, a, a water mammal. But uh, I don't know where they'd get that in the wilderness. You wouldn't find a porpoise or seals in the wilderness. So I don't know why the, the commentaries would call it that. They could find badgers, so, but that's what many commentaries would use, that it was a, a water mammal. They would take the skin of that because they wanted it to be waterproof. So they thought that of a uh, water mammal, that it actually would make it, make it that way. But there's three la uh, layers of covering, goat skin, ram skin, and also that of a badger to cover the tabernacle. Yeah, have it all written down? All right. Now, here's a picture of it. Now, we're talking about the tabernacle that's painted right here, the tabernacle tent. We talk about the four, three coverings of it. Here is the uh, uh, entrance into it. And now we're going to talk about the first thing you saw when you went inside, though it was to the left was the golden lampstand. The reason why is because it was the light. It was very dark in there when it wasn't for that. So the golden lampstand produced light for the priest to do service. So when you first walked in, I'm sure your eyes would go over to where the light was, even though that was to the left. Directly in front of them was the altar of incense. To the right was the table of showbread. We're going to look at it in a few moments. But the first thing you would see was the golden lampstand. Again, here's a picture of it. This is the, whole, the fence. Here's the bronze altar, the bronze laver. Here's the tabernacle itself. And here's the uh, golden lampstand. Here's a picture of what they assumed it looked like. Today, the Jews call that the menorah. 
The lampstand was made of one talent, 125 pounds of pure hammered gold, one solid piece. That would probably be very heavy. 125 pounds of pure hammered gold, one solid, solid piece. You remember where they got the materials to build the tabernacle? Remember, it was from the Jews themselves. When the Jews left Egypt, the Egyptians gave them all kinds of uh, profitable material, very priceless, and they included gold. And of course, when God instructed Moses to build that, he asked people to volunteer to offer of their uh, material goods to build it. And many of that was gold. So that was what that was made out of. One piece of solid gold, 125 pounds. It had a central shaft with six branches, three on each side, making it a seven-branch lampstand. Again, this is what produced the light inside the tabernacle. Each branch had knobs, each branch had knobs, flowers, and an almond-shaped bowl to hold the pure olive oil. The oil that produced the light was olive oil. We're going to see later on that was a picture, a type of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer and how we as believers are to be the light of the world. This is the light of the tabernacle. And each branch, and it was all hammered, so it had an uh, almond-shaped bowl at the top right up here where they put where they, uh, the oil was, and also knobs and flowers. So it's probably a very beautiful piece of furniture, solid gold, and made knobs and flowers and almond-shaped bowls. Now, if I go too fast, just say, wait a minute, Pastor, slow down. I want you to be able to fill it out. All right, next, anybody ready to go? The lampstand was the first item seen entering the tabernacle, again, because it produced light. Probably inside there, it was very dark because remember, it had three layers of skin on top and uh, curtains on the side, the front. So once it was all closed off, you probably couldn't see anything. So God provided a lampstand for the priests to be able to see to do service for the Lord. The priest's duty was to trim the wicks and to keep the lamps lit. God's instruction, the light should never go out in the tabernacle. So the priest had every day trim the wicks and make sure it had plenty of oil that the light would burn continually in the tabernacle. The lampstand was designed to provide light for the tabernacle. Because remember, the priest would also go to the table of showbread and provide bread for that table. They go to the altar of incense, provide incense for the uh, altar. And they would need to be able to see to do that, so the lamp provided light inside this tabernacle for them to do service for the Lord. It enabled priests to serve and fulfill their responsibilities for the Lord. Everybody got that? You still writing? I tell you what, when you get through writing, look up at me. I know your head's down, you're still writing, okay? All right, thank you. Next, continue here. Today, the Word of God is the light for believers. Anybody know a verse that talks about the Word of God being our light and a hint, a lamp unto our feet? The Word of God guides us through life and protects us from evil and darkness. The Word of God is the light for the believer. In fact, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to two verses here. Many of you probably know Psalm 119, so if you, if you don't know it, turn with me, please. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. If you want to memorize a chapter of the Bible, I'd, that probably would not be the first one you should start with. 
but it would be a good one to memorize. Psalm 119, verse 105. To light the candle lampstand was the light for the believers to serve the Lord in the tabernacle. The Bible says our, today the word of God is our light. Psalm 105, 119, 105, please. A good verse you ought to underline or memorize if you don't already know this. Psalm 119, 105. It says, thy word is a what? Lamp unto our feet and a light unto our what? Path. Now think about this. Back in the Bible days, they had to, at nighttime, they had to use a lamp. And it probably did not give off much light so you could see, except for maybe two or three steps at a time. They didn't have high-powered way-of-act flashlights like we have today that go 100 yards. So... Uh, they probably had a light. Basically, they could see one or two steps before it got dark again. So the Bible says the word of God is a lamp unto our feet. How often should you spend time in God's word to get light for your life? Not one a day a week, but every single day. The light that God gives you today would not be for tomorrow. And so it's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Go with me now to 2 Peter, please. In your New Testament, 2 Peter... I want to share with you an amazing statement that talks about the Word of God. 2 Peter, in chapter 1. Second Peter, chapter 1. Look with me, if you would please, in verse... Uh, let's begin in verse 16. 2 Peter 1, 16. So if we have not followed cunning, cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, when was Peter an eyewitness of the majesty and the glory of Christ? On the Mount of Transfiguration. And I think it's in Matthew chapter 19. I think it is. Do not quote me on that. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was transformed in his glorified body there. And so that's when he was eyewitness of his majesty. He saw the Lord in his glorified body. And so look in verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So many of you know that when he transfigured in a glorified body, the uh, Peter, Peter, James, and John saw him in his glorified body. Then they heard a voice from heaven where God the Father said, This is my beloved Son, whom we'll please. And verse 18, And this voice which came from heaven we what? Heard when we were with him on the holy mount. Notice he talks about two forms of communication there. He, in the verse 16, eyewitness. They saw the Lord in his glorified body. In verse 18, he heard the Lord. So the first form of communication, he saw him and he heard him. But there's another form of communication that God said is more sure than an eyewitness and hearing. It says in verse 19, For we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as a, well, notice here, as a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the uh, day star in your hearts. Knowing this first, and no pro prophecy of what? Scripture. Look up here, please. Now, God says, Peter said, I saw the Lord in his glory. I heard the Father in heaven. But he tells us, I have something that's more sure, more authoritative than that scripture. Though you and I have never seen the Lord. You said, Pastor, I saw him. You had too many onions on your hamburgers. He doesn't appear to us today like he did back then. So, but I have something more sure, more profitable, more authoritative than actually an eyewitness and hearing him, the written word of God. And so it shows you the power. Though Peter had saw and heard, he said, I have a more sure communication to me, and that's God's word. So never underestimate the word of God because it is more sure than any eyewitness or any uh, hearing of the ear of that. But it says here in verse, uh, verse uh, 19, 
we also have a more sure word of prophecy, wherein to you do well to take heed as a light that shineth in a what? Dark place. That's what God's word does. How many realize that we're living in a dark, sinful world? And boy, do we ever need light. We need direction. We need instruction. And not that we need the Lord to appear personally or to talk to us audibly. We have something more sure. We have the word of God, scripture. And that's how God speaks to us. A more sure word of prophecy. And the Bible says that it, the word of God guides us through life, protects us from evil and darkness. Next, interesting, Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world. And those who follow him will never walk in darkness. You get a chance to look that up in John 8, John 9, and John 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall never walk in darkness. So he was the light when he was here, and he's left us his word as our light today. Number two, the next piece of furniture. Now, did y'all get all that, all that down? So again, when you walk in the tabernacle, the first thing you saw to the left was the uh, uh, candle, candlestick, and to your right was called the table of showbread. That was to the right when you first walked into the holy place. Here's a diagram of it again. This was the golden lampstand. This is the altar of incense. To the right was the table of showbread. Again, here's a picture. Have you noticed that handout I gave you is, is a picture of this on the inside of it? And I uh, hope you like that. that. The person who produced that is the same person who produced this PowerPoint. So the reason the pictures look the same. So again... When you walked into the tabernacle, to the left was the golden candlestick. To the right was a table of showbread. They always pointing at it. Okay, now, let's talk about this. The table of showbread was made of shittim, or acacia wood, overlaid with gold. You notice how about everything in there was overlaid with gold? Talk about the beauty of this. The table had a crown of gold around its edge, which was as wide as a man's hand. A crown of gold around the edge, top edge of the table of showbread, kept the bread from falling off as wide as a man's hand. So you can get an idea how much gold was used to make this table. A ring of gold was put on each side of the four legs for the carrion poles. Sound like you had to turn the next page, was that right? Okay. And also the carrion poles were made of shittim or acacia wood, overlaid with gold. Everything there was covered with gold. It must have been beautiful. It must have been beautiful to see the light from the candlestick you know, reflect off these other pieces of furniture. How beautiful they must have been. You have that? Okay. The measurements of the table of showbread was three feet long, was one and a half feet wide, and two and a quarter foot high. So it wasn't that really that big. Probably wasn't very heavy to cover except for the gold on it. Three feet long, one and a half feet wide and two and a quarter foot high. On the table of showbread, the priest placed 12 loaves of bread. Remember, it's called the table of showbread. 12 loaves of bread, six loaves and two stacks made from fine flour. You can read about that in Leviticus chapter 24. 12 loaves of bread, six loaves in each stack. The loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. The loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. The fresh bread was placed there every Sabbath as a memorial or remembrance of God's provision for food. Now, as a question, because 
many people have got this wrong. When is the Sabbath? What day is the Sabbath? Saturday. It's not Sunday. <laughs> people today, well, the Sabbath is Sunday. No, it's not. The Sabbath was Saturday. Remember, God said six days you shall work. On the seventh day, the Sabbath you shall rest, and that's Saturday. So it is not Saturday. So why, if they, and by the way, Sabbath was not a day of worship. It was a day of rest. Remember, that, that's the day the Lord rested after he created the, uh, the earth seven days, six days, and seventh day he rested. So they did not go to the tabernacle and worship. They would rest. They were not to walk too far. They would remain in their, in their tents and rest during that day. So um, sometimes people think, well, today, uh, Sunday's a Sabbath. It is not. It is. By the way, why do we worship on Sunday and not Saturday? The first day of the week, what happened the first day of the week is so memorable for us. That's when Christ rose from the dead. And in the early church, uh, they worshiped on Sunday, the first day of the week. We know that in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 16, when they gathered together on the first day of the week to worship. So um, that's when we worship on Sunday because it's the day Christ rose from the dead. Have I got that? All right. Next, Jesus is the bread of life today. So this table of showbread, the bread was a picture of the Lord Jesus. It represented God's continual provision for his people. Jesus is the bread of life, and through his death and resurrection provides believers with eternal life. Jesus is the bread of life, and through his death and resurrection he provides believers with eternal life. Jesus said that anyone who believes in him will never hunger or thirst for spiritual nourishment. Again, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Remember in John chapter 4, when the woman at the well, uh, Jesus met her there, and Jesus said, you know, give me water to drink. And he said, how are you going to provide that? Not having a, a thing to draw with. She said, I offer you water that if you drink, you shall never thirst again. And of course, what was that? He himself. He's the water of life. And what that talks about, you know, that, that's a tremendous verse for eternal security. He said, when you drink of the water that I give you, you shall never thirst again. So that means if you lost your salvation, you would thirst again. But when you drink of the water of life, the Lord Jesus, you shall never thirst. And John chapter 6, when you eat the bread of life, you shall never hunger again. So what beautiful truths about the eternal security of, of the believer when you come to Christ to save you and never thirst spiritually, you never hunger spiritually again because he satisfies at all times. Jesus is the bread of life. All right, the next piece of furniture in the holy place is called the altar of incense. We're going to learn something kind of neat about this in this study. Again, here's the tabernacle. When they walked into the door here to the left was the golden candlestick to the right table of showbread. Directly in front of them was the altar of incense. Right behind the altar was the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, but the altar of incense. Again, there's a picture of it there in the diagram. Another picture. The altar of incense was made, again, of that shittim or acacia wood. It stood in front of the veil, concealing the most holy place. The most holy place was called the Holy Holies. That's where God himself dwelt. And we'll learn more about this in our future study. Only the high priest could go into the holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement. Once a year, Day of Atonement. If any other priests entered into the holy place, they were struck dead immediately on the high priest good. He could only enter it with blood from the sacrifice on the brazen altar. Its four corners of the altar of incense each had a horn made of one piece. Its top, sides, and horns were overlaid with gold with a crown of molding around the top. Again, you notice inside, outside the tabernacle, 
the furniture was bronze, brass. Inside the tabernacle, the furniture was covered with what? With gold. It is believed that when Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, that he actually lined the walls of the tabernacle with gold. Uh, the temple itself, when you walk in, the walls itself was gold. And it's interesting. You remember in 66 AD, the Roman government came and attacked and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, destroyed all the worship uh, pieces of the uh, uh, Jewish. And it is believed that when they set the tabernacle on fire, all the gold melted and went down in the cracks of the uh, blocks that, uh, built around the tabernacle. And do, you, and do you remember when uh, Jesus talked about when the temple was destroyed, there would not be one rock left upon another? It's believed that the Roman soldiers did that to get all the gold that melted out from the temple into the rocks itself. That they tore the, the temple down completely piece by piece to get the gold out, which fulfilled the prophecy that Jesus said there would not be one rock, one stone left upon another. That was Solomon's temple. The altar of incense had rings on its side for the carrying poles. We saw a picture of that that enabled the priests to carry that when they were left uh, to another place of, to uh, dwell. All right, here's the measurements of the altar of incense. It wasn't that big. It was one and a half feet long, one and a half feet wide, and three feet high. So you can see it wasn't that very big. It probably wasn't that very heavy to carry. The high priest burned incense on it every morning and every evening. Remember, it's called the altar of incense. This incense uh, was uh, covered the inside of the taber uh, tabernacle. When you walked in, you saw the light from the golden candlestick, but you would smell incense that was burning on the altar there. Every morning even they would light that, which probably made it smell very and very good inside it. This is so important. Don't miss this now. The fire for the incense came from the bronze altar in the outer court. Make sure you get that. The fire for the incense that burned on the altar of incense came from the bronze altar in the outer court. Remember when you entered the courtyard, the first piece of furniture was the bronze altar where they offered up the animal sacrifices. And the coals they, that burned the animal sacrifices, they used that coal to take into the tabernacle and place it on the altar of incense to burn the incense. I'm going to tell you why they did that and why that was so important. That was a very clear instruction that that fire would have come from the brazen altar. A priest was in danger of death if any other incense or fire burned upon this altar in danger of death. Let me show you an example of that. Go with me now to the book of Leviticus chapter 10, please. Leviticus chapter 10. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, if you're using a church Bible. Chapter 10. And this may explain why God struck these two priests dead. God was very strict about following the rules he gave to Moses in the practice of worship in the tabernacle. To violate them meant sudden and certain death. In Leviticus chapter 10, look with me in verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Nadab and Abihu. Anybody know who they were? They were the oldest sons of Aaron. Remember, Aaron was the high priest. And, of course, it was his sons that would take his place uh, to, to work in the tabernacle. It says here, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. It tells you right there who they were. The oldest sons took either of them, his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, 
and offered, notice here what? Strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. In verse 2, and there went out a fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Evidently, they came into the tabernacle new service and took fire from another source, not from the brazen altar where the animal sacrifice was made, from another source that's called strange fire, and used that fire to offer up incense. And what did God do? He, he, <laughs> fire came out from his presence and burned them alive. And why was it so important for the coals to come from the brazen altar to use on the altar of incense? Now, the altar of incense was a picture I'm going to show you as our further study. The incense was a picture of the prayers of saints going to heaven. And of course, to enter to the, uh, that part, uh, first, the priest, before he could enter the tabernacle, had to first go, go through the brazen altar, offer up an animal sacrifice, Remember, the sacrifice, the brazen altar talks about a person's justification, of salvation. The next furniture was called the brass laver. That was a picture of the believer's sanctification, to become clean to do service for God. And from there, they go in the tabernacle clean to do service. And in order to, the, to be able to offer prayers that was acceptable to God, a, believe, a person first must be a believer from the altar, uh, brazen altar. Remember, they offered up an animal sacrifice and take the coals from that, go and offer the altar of incense. And basically, they said they first, they were justified, saved, and they can now offer prayers to God. Does God accept the prayers of an unbeliever? He's not obligated. The only prayer he accepts is the prayer of salvation. But he's not obligated to. But for the believer, he's obligated himself to hear your prayers. So that's the reason he was teaching them, unless a person comes to a blood sacrifice, God will not hear your prayers. And all, you may offer all the incense you want to, God will not uh, hear the prayers of an unbeliever. And so God clearly showed that by striking these two men, striking, striking them dead. The incense rising with smoke is a picture of our prayers rising to heaven. The incense rising from the smoke in this altar of incense is a picture of our prayers rising uh, to heaven. Got your Bibles. Go with me, please, to the book of Psalm 114, 141, please. Psalm 141. Or if you want me to, I'll just read it to you. But uh, Psalm 141. In verse 1, Psalm 41, talking about the smoke rising from the incense is a picture of our prayers rising to heaven. In Psalm 141, verse 1, David said, Lord, I cry to, unto thee, make haste to hear me. Give ear to my voice when I cry to thee. Verse 2, let my prayer be set forth before thee as what? Incense and the lifting of thy hands and the evening sacrifice. So he's talking about prayers offering to God as the smoke from the altar of incense. Now, if you would please go to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. Here's an amazing verse. Revelation chapter 8. Thank you for turning with me. Remember when God gave Moses the instructions to build the tabernacle, remember it was to be, uh, according to the pattern God gave on the Mount Sinai. God gave Moses a pattern of the tabernacle in heaven. The tabernacle on earth was a typed after the tabernacle in heaven. You realize in heaven there's an altar of incense? Say, so show me that, Pastor. I'm glad you asked. Because remember, the instruction he gave to build the tabernacle was after the one in heaven. Look here in Revelation 8. Look with me in verse 3, please. Back verse two, uh, verse, uh, verse 3. Another angel came and stood at the what? Altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of what? All the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the what? Throne. So in heaven is an altar of incense. And here angels are taking uh, incense there, and it says this, the, the smoke of that is a picture of our prayers going to God before the throne. Now, there is no veil in heaven. Right before the throne is the altar of incense. 
which the, pre, the angels offer up incense. That was a picture of our prayers we offer to God before the throne of God. All right, we need to move right along. Our time is running out. You got it all written down? All right. The veil. The veil was separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Here's a picture of it. Actually, an instruction told them to uh, ascribe two cherubim on the veil. You can read about that in Exodus 26. Again, there's a where the veil was between the holy place. This was called the holy place. This is called the Holy of Holies, where God dwelt. The veil was a woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, along with embroidered designs of cherubim. That was the picture we just saw. There was a embroidered designs of cherubim on this veil. Now remember, I just write it down. Cherubim is plural. Cherub, you leave off the I am. I am makes it plural. Cherub is a single angel called a cherub. Cherubim is plural. I think I shared it last week. Who in the Bible was called the anointed cherub? Lucifer. Satan was before he fell. He was called the anointed cherub that covered the throne of God. This veil hung on four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. It was hung from the four golden hooks that were put on the four sockets of silver. There was no separation in the middle of the veil. To enter, the high priest went around the side of the veil. Can you only see this at the bottom there? Around the side of the veil. There was no split in the middle. The high priest, which went into the holy holies once a year, had to go around to the side to get in there. There was no separation. Remember, I shared with you last week, it is believed by tradition, the high priest, which went into the holy of holies, actually had a rope tied to his ankle. When he went into the holy of holies, if for some reason he didn't come out, it meant that he uh, did not approach God in the proper way. He was struck dead. And so, so nobody else wouldn't be able to go into God's presence. They pulled him out by the rope. And he had to go around to the side to get in. The measurements of the veil. 15 feet long, 15 feet high. That's pretty high, isn't it? 15 feet long, 15 feet high. The veil was a divider between the holy place and the most holy, or called the Holy of Holies. It divided the holy place where any priest could serve the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the uh, golden lampstand, but it separated that place from the Holy of Holies. The veil was a barrier between God and man. The veil was a barrier between God and man. And we're going someplace with this. Don't let me lose you now. We're just about done. I know at the end it's hard to keep attention. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the most holy place called the Holy of Holies through, the, through this veil. You can read about it in Leviticus 23. Only once a year could he go in there on the Day of Atonement. And what he would do on the bronze altar out in the courtyard when animal sacrifice was offered, once they slit the throat of the sacrifice, the lamb, the priest would catch the blood in a bowl. And he would take that blood into the tabernacle, the high priest would, and go from the holy place, the holy of holies, with a bowl of blood, he would go in the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat to make an atonement for the souls of, uh, of Israel. Interesting. Book of Hebrews says, by his own blood, the Lord Jesus, he entered into the holy place to obtain eternal redemption for us. You realize when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he shed his blood and he took his own blood to the tabernacle in heaven and went to the holy the throne of God and sprinkled his blood upon the mercy seat for us to obtain eternal redemption for us. How many can say praise the Lord? And his one sacrifice was sufficient for all sin. 
when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. You can read about that. Time went out for minutes to do that tonight. And Matthew, in fact, let's go ahead and turn there. We've got about 10 minutes. Matthew 25, 27, verse 51. Matthew 27. And what was the significance of that? By the way, who rent the veil? We're going to talk about that. Matthew 27. In verse 51, Matthew 27. In fact, if you back up in verse 50, you will see it speaks about when Christ died. Matthew 27, 50. At this time, Jesus is on the cross. And it says here in verse 50, the last thing he said when he died, and Jesus when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the what? Ghost. He died. Now look in verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to what? Bottom. Why is that so important from top to bottom? And it clearly tells us that it was God who rent it from top to bottom because no man is 15 foot tall. <laughs> And it's believed that the veil was several inches thick, that it could not do that. I read somewhere, again, this is all tradition, that actually take uh, several horses to pull on both sides to tear it in half. But God himself rent it from top to bottom. And why did he do that? And what a beautiful picture that is. The, he, the torn veil symbolizes the ability of every believer not just the high priest, to approach God through the death of Jesus Christ. Now, you can boldly approach. Remember, Hebrews said, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. The high priest in the Old Testament did not go boldly. He had to go very timidly, hoping I get everything I need so God doesn't strike me dead. But now, because that veil has been split by God, we have direct access into the presence of God. Uh, here, here's a question. This is not in the Bible. Can you imagine that this veil that was rent was in Solomon's temple? It was not in the tabernacle. It was in the temple that was, uh, that was in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. Can you imagine the, the priests that went in to do the holy place to do service all of a sudden saw the veil rent from top to bottom? I'm sure it scared them to death because only the high priest could go into where God was. But now they actually could see in there any priest can now see in the very Holy of Holies and see the tabernacle. And so this and I think, I bet this scared them half to death to be able to see what only the high priest could do once a year. The Bible says that Jesus' body is the curtain or veil through which we approach God. Because of Jesus and the sacrifice he made, all people can enter the most holy place Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to turn there and we're going to close with this. Again, the Bible says that Jesus' body is the curtain or veil through which we approach God. Because of Jesus and his sacrifice he made, all people can enter into the most holy place. Turn me in Hebrews now and we're going to wrap it up with this. Hebrews chapter, in fact, if you would, chapter 10, go to chapter 4 to begin with. Chapter 4. Here's a wonderful verse. It talks about the Lord Jesus Christ being our high priest. Chapter 4, verse, verse 15, For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. But verse 16, what does it tell us to do? Let us therefore come what? Boldly unto the throne of grace. That's the, uh, the uh, Ark of the Covenant. Go now to chapter 10, please. Chapter 10, verse 19. 
because the veil was rent top to bottom, we now, every believer, not just the high priest, every believer has direct access to the throne of God. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is his what? Flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. Interesting. Uh, in the Catholicism, Catholics teach that only the priest can go before God in your behalf. And you go to the, uh, the confessional booth, and, and you confess your sins to the priest, and the priest will go in your behalf to God and ask for forgiveness. And, and so he's the mediator between God and man. But the Bible said there's only one mediator between God and man. That's the man who? Christ Jesus. And therefore, as a believer, you don't have to go through some man, but directly to God yourself. And we know that because the veil was rent. Uh, how many of you know Rick and Lorraine Concilio? I led both of them to Christ. Years ago, they came to Vacation Bible School, and uh, they brought the kids here. And I gave the gospel uh, on parents' night, like I always did. And when I got done, they, well, they were Catholics. They said, Pastor, I never heard that before. I come up with the gospel. Would you be willing to come to my house and talk more about it? I said, sure. So that following week, my wife and I went over there. And uh, long story short, I led them to Christ. Both of them received Christ as their Savior. And so Rick, in sincerity, he says, Pastor, when do I come for confession? I said, any time, but not through me. <laughs> I said, Rick, you have direct access. You don't have to go through any man. You can go directly to the throne of God. Every time, Christian, you bow your head, you're ushered in the very presence of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Can someone say amen? That you are ushered in his presence. And he said, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. You don't need to go through some man. You can go yourself in the very presence of God. And Jesus said that by the rending of the veil. And we're done. Next week, we're going to talk about the most holy place, the Holy Holies. We're going to focus on the Ark of the Covenant, the Mercy Seat, and the, the Pillar of Cloud, which God himself. Not next week, two weeks. Next week is the preparation for Thanksgiving. But anyway, please go back over that again. How about you? The more I study this, the more I get excited about the relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, we have access to God himself, and our sins, a confession, need not be made to any man, but through to God himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, if you miss something, I went too fast, please talk to your neighbor, <laughs> get that from him. All right, let's bow together, please. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. There on the cross, bearing our sin and shame, he died and shed his precious blood for our sins was buried and rose again. And when he died, the scripture teaches the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom, saying that you tore that in half. And therefore teaching symbolically that all believers, not just the high priest, now, now has direct access into your very presence, and the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. We can go there in our, in our prayers. Thank you for making that possible for us, that we can talk to you personally because the sacrifice of Christ and his body was rent for us on the cross of Calvary. In Christ's name we pray, amen.